Christmas to you all, brothers and sisters, so glad to be here with you this morning to celebrate and worship Christ our Lord who has come, who's come to rescue us, redeem us, reconcile God and man. We sang earlier the, the song, Behold, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Come behold the wondrous mystery. And today we're going to look at John chapter 1, and we're going to do that very thing. We're going to get a glimpse through the Gospel of John of the glory of God that was put on display through the coming of His Son into this world. As the light of the world, as the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I said last week in speaking about the incarnation that there is beauty and mystery in it. And I quoted Albert Einstein who said that, that mystery is, is the source of all tr true art and science. And, and without it, uh, we, we lose our humanity in a sense. Like God wired us to be in awe and wonder of him and who he is. And today we're going to look at Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who always was with the Father, who stepped down into this fallen, broken world, into the darkness, and became one of us, and lived amongst us. He moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson said, and he dwelt among us. And so, Father, as we open the pages of Scripture would you open our eyes to see the wondrous mystery? The glory of God put on display through the coming of Jesus into this world. And help our hearts to believe and receive and embrace all the implications, the full implications of the incarnation of the Son. May we worship. May we be humbled in all and captured with a fresh sense of wonder of your love and your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. To bear witness about the light, that all may might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the he gave the right to become 
children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Here's our big idea this morning. Jesus Christ is the eternal word and the true light who has come into this world to give us light, truth, grace, and to conquer darkness. Jesus Christ is the eternal word, the true and the true light who's come into the world to give us life, truth, grace, and conquer darkness. This is why we celebrate during the Christmas time, because God took on flesh, the eternal son of God, who John describes here as the word of God. And as we read this passage, we're, we hear echoes all the way back to the book of Genesis, where in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And God spoke and he created. And John is writing these words with the echoes of Genesis, speaking about this one who was with the father from the very beginning. Jesus is the eternal word who became human. He was with the Father. And He was God. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. God the Father and God the Son. Many people struggle with this concept as with the Incarnation. And there's mystery in it and yet the Bible presents it as solid truth that we must believe and embrace that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is fully God and fully man. He became man. He dwelt among us. It's the wondrous mystery of the incarnation that we just sang about. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. You see, there's an emphasis on the deity of Christ here. The reality that this one who became a human was divine. He always was with the Father. And verse 14 points us to the humanity of Christ. The Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the only Son from the Father who came full of grace and truth. We sing about this in the song, Hark the Herald, one of our favorite Christmas hymns that we sang earlier. Christ by highest heaven adorned. Christ the everlasting 
Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus are Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. This is what Jesus was called, God with us, Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. The song we sang earlier captures it well as, as, as well. It says, come behold the wondrous mystery and the dawning of the king. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. He took on flesh. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, who took on flesh to ransom us. Jesus came as the eternal word of God, the son of God. He came as the true light. And the, the Greek word that John used when he wrote about Jesus, the word is logos, logos. John's readers would have recognized in this term that Logos was, was a dual reference both to the powerful creative word of God in the Old Testament by which the heavens and earth were created and the organizing or unifying principle of the universe. The thing that held it together and allowed it to make sense in the Greek thinking. And John knew what he was doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing about the Logos, the Word, who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says this, that the Christmas message rests upon the staggering fact that the child in the manger was God. The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, Hope for pardon, hope for peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might die, that he might hang on a cross. It was the most wonderful message the world has ever heard or will ever hear. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And has not over. And the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. John calls Him the true light. Jesus is the true light who stepped down into darkness. As Matt Redman said, wrote in his, his song. Light of the world. Step down into darkness, open my eyes that I might see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with thee. The true light who gives light to every man stepped into the darkness. I, I love at Christmas time lighting the candles and seeing the lights and driving around and experiencing in the dark night the, the bright lights that light up the night. And in looking at the lights, let us remember who the true light is, the one who stepped down into our dark, broken world to shine, to light the way. 
F.F. Bruce says that light is a synonym for goodness and truth. And darkness is a synonym for evil and falsehood. Another theologian says that, that, that intellectually the light refers to truth and darkness to falsehood. Morally, light refers to holiness and darkness to sin. I think we can all agree and re recognize that this world is dark and broken. That there's something wrong with this world that needs to be fixed. And Jesus is the answer to that brokenness. He's, an, he's the answer to that darkness. And without him, we can't make sense of life and purpose and meaning. As, as uh, C.S. Lewis said, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun. The sun has risen, not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Jesus Christ is the light gives understanding. He gives us revelation. He helps us to see the truth and be set free by it as the sun shines bright and, and, and helps us see where we're at and see reality so we don't stumble and fall. The, the sun shines and helps us see beauty, enjoy the beauty of this world. As the sun shines and gives life to, to plants, we need it. And Jesus is like that. He's the source of life. And so I want us to ponder the wondrous mystery of the incarnation. That the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. That the light, the true light, stepped down into darkness to overcome and conquer the darkness in this world and in our lives. One theologian critiques evangelical, popular evangelical Christianity saying, saying this, that the central problem of popular evangelical Christianity is its failure to comprehend the full implications of the incarnation. The full implications of the incarnation. So this is something we don't want to just rush past. We want to come stop and, and behold the wondrous mystery. We want to, like a scenic view when you're when you're in the mountains and there's a place to stop and you see the, the sun shining bright or beautiful sunset. You see the mountains and you just, you stop and you get a glimpse and you see the beauty there and you allow yourself to be captured with awe by the creation. And for us who are believers, by the creator who made those things. And so here are some implications of the, the incarnation that I want us to consider. First of all, through the incarnation, it helps us to know God truly. Look at verse 18. He says, no one has seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus came to show us what the Father is like. He said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He made statements in the Bible, and in the Gospel of John particularly, and in other places, that, that implied that, that he is the eternal Son of God. Like he, in John 8, he said, before Abraham was, I am. 
And the Jews knew what he was implying when he said this. And so they took up stones to stone for blasphemy. Because he was claiming that even before Abraham was, and he used the word, I am. That's how God described himself back in Exodus. And Jesus is using that kind of language. He prayed in John 17 that, 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 that uh, he mentioned the glory that he had before the, the world existed with the Father. John 17, I believe verse 5, somewhere around there. And so Jesus came and he revealed the Father. He showed us what God is like. The, the, another translation here that, uh, translates this verse as, as no one has ever seen God, the only God himself, God, who is in closest fellowship with the Father, has made him known. You see, knowing Jesus is key to knowing the Father. Jesus said in John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And that's what we're about here at City Church. Knowing Jesus, loving people, and impacting your world. A couple of modern, a modern translation and a paraphrase here shed some light on this verse as well. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near the Father's side. He has revealed God to us. The message, I love this. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse, this one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day, thunder in the desert. So the incarnation helps us to know God truly. We can know him. We get a glimpse of his glory in the incarnation we also see a part of his character and a part of what's revealed in the incarnation is the grace of God. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for you, uh, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want you to think about that for a moment. The Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. He was born in a poor family. And he lived with not a whole lot intentionally. He was sent into this world and he lived in poverty. And yet he did the will of God. He became poor for our sake to, to enrich our lives. Think about the gift of Jesus this Christmas. I love gift giving. Gift giving is an important part of Christmas for so many. And for many kids, it's, it's very, very, very important. Maybe too important for some. We don't want it to eclipse the real meaning for the season. But as I said last week, Christmas is about receiving the ultimate gift that's been given to us. A gift of grace. Jesus came, not because we deserved him to come and rescue us. Not because we deserved redemption or deserve forgiveness or deserve eternal life or deserve reconciliation with God. He came to save us. 
And he gave himself away for us. And so we receive him. We receive what he's done for us. We receive him into our lives. And he enriches our lives. He enriches our lives with joy. The joy of salvation. With hope. The hope of glory. With peace. Peace with God. He enriches our life with love. With purpose. And so much more. All Every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1 says. Jack Packer in his book Knowing God says that the Christmas spirit does not shine out a Christian snob. For the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who like their master live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care and concern to do good to others, not just their own friends in whatever way there may seem there seems need. So the incarnation reveals the grace of God. The incarnation reveals the love of God. 1 John 4, 9 says that in, in, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. Or the most famous verse that, that many people know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever or whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever but have eternal life. This is love that Christ has come down into our world to be with us, to rescue us, to give us life. We also see that the incarnation highlights the faithfulness of God. God fulfilled his promises that he made to his people. All this in Matthew 1, 21 through 23, uh, verse 22 says, All this took place. To fulfill what the Lord has spoken, had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Theologians highlight that the the grace and the truth that Jesus was full of um, is is it echoes or it's connected to the, the the two words used in the Old Testament to describe God and His dealings with His people. Hesed and Emmet. That's that's loving kindness and faithfulness or truth. And and what we see here is we see Jesus as the the, 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 the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, embodying those attributes, those characteristics of God, the glory of God, the glory that was revealed to Moses. In Exodus 34, when Moses said, show me your glory, and the Lord passed by him and and declared his name, the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is our Emmanuel, Jesus, who displays the love of God and the faithfulness of God. The incarnation shows us the humility of God, as, as mentioned in the communion talk, Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. The incarnation also provides us with sympathy from Christ. Christ is sympathetic 
towards us. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for, for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Verse 15 of chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Behold the beauty of the incarnation and what is brought to us through Christ's coming. He gets us. He gets us. He feels. He felt pain in this life. He felt the sting of pain, of rejection. He experienced what it's like to live as a human being, fully God, fully man. And he suffered unjustly on our behalf. So he's able to help us as we're tempted. He's able to sympathize us as we wrestle through our struggles in this life. J.C. Ryle says this. He says, did the word become flesh? Then he is the one who can be touched with the feeling of his people's infirmities because he suffered himself being tempted. He is almighty because he is God and yet he can sympathize with us because he is man. Jesus sees you. He cares about you. He cares about what you've been through, your pain, your hurt, your struggle. And therefore, because of this, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We don't have to go through the struggles in this life all alone. Trying to figure it out all by ourselves. And trying to make it through all by ourselves without God's help. And without the help of loving community. God gives us grace. He sympathizes with us. We're seen. We're known. We're loved by God. The incarnation points highlights these realities to us. Number seven, the incarnation is God's response to evil in the world. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. We've seen war this year. We've seen some terrible things happen on the other side of the world. And we've seen some terrible things happen in our neighborhood. Lives taken. Terrible things in the world. And Jesus stepped into this broken world. This was God's response to evil in the world. He didn't just leave this sin-sick world to figure it out, for us to figure it out all by ourselves. 1 John 3, 5 says that, says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Can somebody say hallelujah? hallelujah. We want to see the works of the devil destroyed, evil conquered. The darkness cannot overcome the light. The light is stronger 
It's more powerful. The light has come and the light is shining. He has shown and he is shining through his people. He is shining through the proclamation of his word and his people living out the gospel. Theologian Andreas Katzenberger says this. He says, God was born as a baby, grew as a human being, and walked this earth as a man. The historical reality, this historical reality, represents perhaps one of the strongest responses to the problem of evil. Rather than remain aloof and distant, God entered our world of pain, frailty, vulnerability, suffering, and death, and he walked alongside us in every way and endured the full fury of evil, oppression, and injustice. And when we suffer, and when we have to watch those whom we love suffer, we do so knowing that God suffered alongside us on our behalf in order to rescue us from the suffering from suffering and provide an eternal home with no tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. God has done something about the problem of evil. This is a stumbling block, by the way, for many. It's a stumbling block for many who suppose that God hasn't done enough or God hasn't done anything at all. Many people have a hard time reconciling a loving God with all the wickedness that we see in this world and the pain, the problem of evil. Many people wrestle with this. And yet we see from the beginning, God created everything good. His intentions are good. He has done good. He has sent messengers throughout history. He sent prophets. He's He's rescued in many ways and many um, smaller deliverances. And we see in Jesus, we see the ultimate rescue. The great salvation that he that God brought. He, he stepped into the world and Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross. It was necessary for him to become a human for our salvation. That's another implication of the incarnation. It was necessary that God would become man and dwell amongst us so that he could become killable. So that Jesus could give his life, his body as a sacrifice to conquer the evil in the world. He allowed evil men to crucify him. And it's our sin, your sin and my sin. Ultimately, that, that put him there. It's the sin of the world that, that, that he gave him his life for us to be, as John calls it, the propitiation for our sins. The atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, many people try to deal with the darkness on their own, in their own strength, with their own understanding, with their own power. They find themselves coming, hitting a brick wall, coming to a dead end time and time again. We need a Savior. And the Savior has come. And He's given His life for us. The incarnation was necessary for our salvation. Titus 3 says this. It says, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I have two more, if you're wondering. The incarnation exemplifies the kind of life that we are to live. The incarnation exemplifies Christ's life displayed for us what true humanity is supposed to look like. How humans are supposed to live. But we're all fallen. And Christ lived the perfect, sinless life of love. Love for the Father. He glorified the Father. And He showed us how to love. He showed us how to live. And He said this to His disciples before He went to the cross. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. J.C. Ryle again says this. He says, did the word become flesh? Then he can supply us with a perfect pattern and example for our daily life. Having dwelt among us as a man, we know that the true standard of holiness is to walk even as he walked. He is a perfect pattern because he is God. But he is also a pattern exactly suited to our needs because he is man. Again, fully God and fully man. And lastly, the incarnation highlights the missional nature of Christianity. Jesus said this in John 17. He said, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is something we're about here at City Church. We value missional living because our Lord lived a missional life and he calls his people to live missional lives Jesus is the greatest missionary who left heaven to come to earth to reach us he moved into the neighborhood and we want to be those kind of people who move towards the broken the hurting the fallen, the blind the lame the sick the disabled and love them and help them and share the love of Christ and shine the light of the gospel with them. So here are 10 implications of the incarnation of the Son of God. Let us behold the wondrous mystery. Behold the glory of God that was manifested in the incarnation. And the reality that Christ took on flesh, frail humanity, and lived amongst us, showed us the Father, showed us the love of God, showed us the grace of God, showed us the faithfulness of God, and now provides us with sympathy, sympathy and help that we need. And so believe in Him. Behold Him and believe in Him. Believe in Jesus and receive Him as your Lord and Savior if you haven't. Receive the gift. The greatest gift. Enjoy the greatest gift ever given. Christ the Son. And lastly, be humble, gracious, loving, 
generous and sympathetic to others. Because that's how our Lord has treated us. Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, says this, that the fact that God became human and emptied himself of his glory means that you should not want to hang out with only the people with power and glitz who are networked and can open doors for you. You need to be willing to go to the people without power, beauty, without money. That is the Christmas spirit because God became one of us. Amen.